Okay. Turn in your copy of the scriptures or scroll in your Bible app, if you would please, to the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 103 in particular. Uh, Psalm 103. Happy Father's Day. Uh, This is a special day for us as we celebrate uh, parenthood, but especially as we celebrate fathers, as we think about the glory uh, and grace that we have of being dads and being able to have children in our purview that we might influence for the glory of God and for their good. And so uh, we are taking a break (laughs) from another series. So we're in a series through the Gospel of Luke. We took a break from that series to go into the book of Jonah. We're taking a break from that series to go into Psalms, and then hopefully we'll be back in Jonah next week. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. You don't have to know all those details. Just keep showing up. we'll, We'll make sure that you get to where you need to be. But today we're going to be looking at Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. And if you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and follow along silently as I read aloud Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who Fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's. Children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be here, grateful to be able to celebrate you as our father, that we might be the adopted sons and daughters of you. Thank you for sending your son into this world for sinners such as us so that we might be brought into your family. Would you bless us today as we celebrate fatherhood and as we look to your word for guidance and strength and hope and help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Confession, I spent a long time 
in my Christian life dancing around the Psalms as opposed to with the Psalms. It's true, it's pretty stupid, but it's just the truth for my life, that I spent a long time in my Christian life kind of dancing around the Psalms as opposed to going to the Psalms uh, on a regular basis. And it wasn't wise, but it was the truth. Uh, and I had my reasons. I felt like it was the default answer when you asked someone what they were reading in their Bible. Oh, the Psalms. Like, it just seems to be where everybody defaulted to. I also, kind of my personality, I enjoy doing things, and the Psalms don't always give me stuff to do. There's not always something I can do when I read through the Psalms and reflect on them and then feel like I can go and do something from what I've just learned. And so in my youth, in my folly, in my foolishness, uh, I kind of was like, yeah, we could be in the Psalms. We kind of like jump through them, but let's get to something that's like really, really important. Or let's use the Psalms as an appetizer or as a dessert, but the main course should certainly be something else. Now, if you share those opinions of the Psalms, you need to know that I can relate to you, but you're as foolish as I was. I no longer think that. I no longer think that at all. I might spend more time in the Psalms now than any other book for my own personal enjoyment. I have a Bible reading plan that I tend to follow, but I don't follow it super strict that I can never deviate from it. No, I might all of a sudden take some time and read through the Psalms. If you look in my journal, I try to journal, I don't know, anywhere from one to three times a week. I love journaling. And so I try to carve out that time at least once, but sometimes up to three times a week, it's usually about the Psalms. It's usually there's some Psalm that I've been reading that I got to and it struck my heart in such a, uh, an interesting way and coincided with something that the Lord was doing in my life personally that I couldn't help but write about it. I couldn't help but express the joy that I had as I see the Lord speaking to me through his word. Um, and so today's sermon is one from the overflow of my heart because of how Psalm 103 struck me about three years ago. Um, Not as a pastor, not as a church leader, but as a child of God and specifically as a dad, as a father to my own children, all of which I'll tell you about later. And so in my Bible, it says right here, it's highlighted, and then I wrote the date where God just dropped this psalm on my heart and my mind like a ton of bricks. And I knew, actually, it's funny, as much as I said I danced around the psalms, in my last church, we memorized Psalm 103 together. So as much as I tried to dance around it, I still was very familiar with this particular psalm. And I read it three years ago, not for the first time, hardly for the first time. I can almost recite it because I think I can remember most of it. But these specific verses the Lord used to show me something in my own life about me as a child of God, but most specifically as a dad. And how the Lord used that to change me, to convict me, but then also to not just say, you're doing it wrong. You're doing, get shape up or ship out. That's not how the Lord works. He says, you're doing it wrong. I can help you do it right. Or or, you're you're coming before uh, me in this wrong. I can help you do it right. You're acting in a way that is erroneous, but I can help you do it right. So it wasn't a conviction such that I felt hopeless. Not at all. It was godly sorrow which produced Repentance. It was, ooh, I've got to shape this up in my life, and God is showing me how. So, we're going to get into that. But for now, let's just talk about Psalm 103. It's written by David. Now, with some psalms, there's a pretty solid consensus as to when the psalmist wrote it, or why it was written, or the events that had just taken place. For example, we see that in Psalm 51, where David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my 
transgressions. We know that David wrote that and sung that and cries out in confession and repentance to God from having sinned against Bathsheba and against God. That's the case with several Psalms. You could see, okay, based on when it was written, based on what he's saying, this was probably written then. It's not the case with Psalm 103. Not the case. We don't know much about when it was written or why it was written. What you see is what you get. One thing is likely, though, and that it was probably written by David in his later years. Just as I explained to you earlier how even though I was a Christian, I had a pretty immature, misinformed view of the Psalms. I'm not an old man, but I'm not as young as I once was, and I realized taking time to reflect on the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy and grace of God is something I don't grow tired of. And that usually comes with time. That comes with maturity. That comes with walking with the Lord for a bit. You, you might be young now and say, I kind of feel that way now. I love the Psalms. Great. You're better than I was at your age. But I would also say this. If you think you love them at 20, you have no idea how much you're going to love them at 40. Or at 50. Or at 60. Because you'll have seen some of what the psalmist talk about illustrated in your life and the lives of those you love. So if you love it now, you have no idea how much you're going to love it as you continue to travel with the Lord through the psalms. Uh, Spurgeon says Psalm 103, is, uh, it's, it reads as if it's the, the psalmist's response to what Jesus later preaches in his Sermon on the Mount. He refers to Psalm 103 as the song on the mount. So let's glance at it. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Before, I said in my younger years, I was frustrated by the Psalms because they didn't give me something to do. And yet our text today is in the Psalms and starts out with what? An imperative, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. You might think it's kind of weird. It sounds like David is talking to himself. He 100% is talking to himself. He is straight up talking to himself. And that's not because he is crazy. Uh, he's talking to himself specifically to his very soul and telling it to bless the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's an interesting take on being a believer, right? Benefits, like going to Jesus in faith comes with a pretty sweet benefits package. And that's an interesting take on it, but that's not altogether untrue. There's a Hebrew word there, gmul, and that's what it means, benefits. The psalmist is talking to himself. He's admonishing himself to not forget all that God has done, all that God has accomplished and how it benefits him. Listen, guys, you should talk to God as often as you can, maybe more than anyone else. I would say in second place to that, you should be talking to yourself. You should be talking to yourself and admonishing yourself, reminding yourself of the truth that you read in God's word because we're finite, fickle, forgetful people. That's why David says, Hey, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's reminding his soul to bless the Lord, reminding his soul that he needs to praise God because he would go about life like you and like me and think that's just a Sunday thing or that's just a morning thing or that's just a, a certain time of the day depending on what I'm doing thing. It's not constant. And he there is reminding his soul, hey, bless the Lord. But then he follows up with a why in verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Verse 3. He forgives all your iniquity. He can heal all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love 
and mercy. So it's like he's telling, he's telling his own soul, bless the Lord. And here's why. Praise God. And here's why. Let me remind you, soul, what God is like, why he's worthy of your praise. Verse 5, he satisfies you. Verse 6, he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What about you? As you read through those things about God, about what he's like and what he's done, which one of those stands out to you? Which one of those is worth calling to your mind when you're thinking of reasons to praise God? See, I don't like ambiguity. Sure, I ought to praise him. I mean, he's God and stuff. That just doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. It might get you out of bed in the morning and it might spur you on. I mean, he's God and he's... Like, we should praise him because this psalm serves me very well. Because I get specificity. Here's what God has done. It's not that I'm coming to the Bible going, why should I praise God? Somebody prove it. Come at me, bro. I'm not saying that. But specific reasons help me to grow and change. Nobody grows and changes in fuzzy land. They need specificity to help them grow and to change. If you're looking to grow in an area of your life, you want to hear from God, hear from his word in specific ways that you can apply to your specific life. And Psalm 103 gives that to me. And that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. There's a specific list of reasons. When I'm feeling uh, down, when I'm feeling uh, depressed, when I'm despondent, when I feel forgotten by God, when I think he's moved on to help people who are more worth his help, more worth his love, this gives me specific reasons to come back to truth and to be reminded, look at how great God is that you should be blessing his name. That you should be praising him because he's done these things. He forgives all your iniquity. Look at verse 10. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That, in and of itself, is enough to constantly praise God until we're called home. That's an important perspective to have. It helps us understand that even though our lives are fraught with difficulties some of which we did nothing to necessarily deserve, right? They're just circumstances of living in a fallen, sinful world, but others which are consequences of our, of our actions. Even then, look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, we're in, uh, looking at a minor prophet, which is Jonah. Here's another prophet, Ezra. You don't have to turn there, but you might want to write it down. Ezra Chapter 9 and verse 13, he says this, talking to God, after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. And so he's aware that with all the difficulties that's in his life, God's still being so gracious. With all the trials that are in his life that he's even saying that we brought on, like we had it coming. You've still been so, so 
good to us. You do not punish us according to our wickedness or according to what our sins deserve. Now we get into our text today, which starts in verse 11. Uh, Take a look at verse 11. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so, point number one in your outline says this. You need to know that even the writers of the word of God find words inadequate to describe God's love for his children. I don't know if you caught that, but if you look at verse 11 and elsewhere in scriptures, the writers of the word of God still find words coming up short, still feel like they're inadequate to describe God's love for his children. And so what does he do? He, David here resorts to imagery, right? Look again at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How great is God's love? Let me help you picture it. Picture the distance between the earth and the sky. Now, you might say, wow. Or you might say, I can't picture that. That's still not something I can picture. All right, let's try this. How great is the distance God puts between us and our sins? Well, verse 11 says, uh, or verse 12 rather, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Okay, how great is the distance God puts between us and our sins? Picture the distance between the east and the west. Once again, you might say, wow. Or you might be like me and say, I can't picture that. Like I just can't. I just can't picture it. I can't measure that. And you take a shift from being frustrated to the fact that you can't measure that to being stunned by the fact that you can't measure that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? It's it's infinite. You You can't measure it. How far is the east from the west? Sounds like a dad joke or a trick question or something. Like, how? I don't don't know. Is there a trick question? How far is the east from the west? Where do I start measuring? I don't know. See previous line. How far is the east from the west? And then you realize words come up short, and so David resorts to imagery. Even imagery kind of comes up short. But at least what we see in our mind's eye as we're reading the word of God, what we see is infinity. We see never ending. We see no stop. We see unconditional. We see I can't even measure it causes me to fall more in love with God because that's how much he loves me. It's immeasurable, beyond measure, impossible to quantify because the love of God, because of the love that God has on sinners like you and me has an eternal impact on us and literally undoes the curse of sin and death so that we'll be ultimately restored to the creatures he created us to be in perfect worship and fellowship with him. I, uh, early on as being a pastor, I remember thinking, you know what, I hear a lot of, I've talked to a lot of PKs, pastor's kids, and they talk to me about the trials and the difficulties. There's unique difficulties to growing up in a, 
in a, in a pastor's home. It's true. There's probably unique difficulties growing up in your home based on your career, your vocation, and there's some that are pretty unique. So what I wanted to do for my kids is early on, I tried my very best to call to their attention the perks, the benefits of what it meant to grow up in a, in a, a full-time pastor's home and someone who's in vocational ministry. So at the time, I was a youth pastor, and I would take all the kids up to in, I don't know, one or two school buses up to Kings Island, and I would take them with me. So here's my little kids, my little boys who have no business being on a youth trip. And I'm like, you know why you're here, right? You're here because I have this job and I can take you with me. It's so cool. So they feel like they're kind of getting a peek behind the veil. Or I would take them up to youth camp. Our students just got back from youth camp, uh, middle school camp last week, high school camp this week. They would be riding around on a gator with me with other kids from ages from grade 6 through 12, and I had, like, children from 6 through 12 at the time. And they're riding around, uh, playing, jumping in the pool. I'm saying, you know why you get to do this? There's a benefit. This is why you get to do this, because we're blessed that I have this job, and I get to take you with me to hang out either all week or for a few days. I try to show them the benefits. And those are all good and well, but they're pretty finite and measurable, right? It's like we came home from Kings Island. That's done. Uh, Camp is done. That's done. Uh, even when we used to, when this church first started meeting at uh, this particular location, we met at the movie theaters at uh, Newport on the Levee. And I used to take the kids into the projector rooms because that's where we were storing our stuff. And it's like, look, how many kids get to come up here like, and not be arrested? This is awesome. We get to like, look around. This is how things work. This is fun. Look what we get to do that. They thought it was so cool. And they get to come around. And I still think they could probably get up there if they really wanted to. I hope they don't because that would be trespassing. Once again, that's a finite perk. Lasted for a season. We were there from 2013 to 2015 before we moved to this plaza. But the benefits of God's love can't be measured or described or put into words. Like my kids could say, oh yeah, it was really cool when I was little, I got to go on the youth trip to Kings Island. When I was little, I got to go to camp and hang out with dad. And when I was little, I got to do these things. Those are all easy to describe, right? When I, if when I just said, I got to take my kids to Kings Island, you guys are like, I can't even fathom that you probably can right picture little kids walking through kings i bet you come on you can do this this is not hard to picture i got to take my kids to camp you guys are like i can't even no that's not that it's cool but it's not amazing it's not it's not unfathomable you could you could picture it pretty well the benefits of god's love can't be measured or described or put into words so that's wonderful but you might also say it's also a little frustrating Like, if the writers of Scripture struggle to describe the love of God, where does that leave us? Like, in other words, if we can't describe it or put it into words, how do we get the message out? And so that's point number two. You need to remember that where words fall short, God calls people like you and me to put his character on display. When the writers of Scripture experienced a little bit of writer's block, if you will, that's fine. God's not concerned because the Word of God was meant to accompany the people of God in putting God's character on display. It's the Word of God with the people of God to put God's character on display. Instead of using just words, God chose to use people like you and me to help people understand His character. And there's several examples in your outline Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's an instruction for you about how to handle life on a horizontal level because I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to use you, God says, so that they can learn more about me. What you do horizontally can pivot people's minds and hearts vertically. Uh, Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus says, I do not ask for, this is his, he's praying, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And then what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. Gospel of John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, verse 34, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Okay, why? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you have to understand, this isn't a plan B on God's part. Oh, it turns out that languages are too finite to describe me. I gotta come up with something and go. God has always planned to partner the word of God with the people of God to put his character on display, to complete that picture. The complete picture is one that combines those two things. And you know what else? Throughout the scriptures, God illustrates his character repeatedly with parental examples throughout the Bible. I put some in your outline. God says, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. Dang. Like, mama bears are pretty. People post these videos. They're like within, if you're close enough to a bear to post a video, you're messed up. Like, that you should not, this should not be possible. There are people posting videos. They're in Pigeon Forge, and they're like, oh, we're in our, we're in our camper. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm from the city. Like, oh, here we are in our camper. We're just standing outside our camper. And look, there's a dumpster over there. Hey, look, there's a bear with her cubs. Let's, let's, let's take a video. I'm like, let's run to the city. Let's run back as far away from that bear as possible because I don't know much about bears, but I just know that they're bigger, and if it's me versus the bear, probably going to lose. I don't have low self-esteem, just pretty realistic, not down on myself. If it's Peter versus a bear, I'm probably going to lose. Let's go in the other direction. But I think that's particularly the case when it comes to mama bears. You don't want to mess with a mama bear with her cubs. There is a picture in the book of Hosea, chapter 13 and verse 8, that God paints, he says, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. And God's like, I will not mess around. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, the Lord says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then goes on to say, I will not forget you. The picture he paints in our minds is, picture a mom with her child. How much of her life she builds around that child, particularly when the child is young and nursing and needing more attention, particularly when the child is particularly hopeless and helpless. And that's the picture that God paints there. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And then he says, even so, I would never forget you, Isaiah chapter 49. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Then the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as what? As sons. He's treating you as his kids. 
What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? The relationship between parents and children has such potential to put the character of God on display. And that's especially true for dads. We see God referred to us rightfully, refers to us as his kids. We refer to him as our father. Guys, if you're a dad in here today, we should be very humbled that we share a title that God has. Father. That's really something. That really gets our attention. And this is not to downplay the importance of mothers. In most cases, mothers will spend more waking hours with their children than fathers do. Hard to overstate the importance of mothers have. It's just Father's Day. I want to focus with you on something David says in his psalm when it comes to fathers and children. Uh, I've been to several Reds games with my kids, particularly with my oldest son, Justin. And uh, there's one that stands out to me in particular. And uh, that was a Friday night fireworks. And uh, we finished watching the game. We're sitting around. The lights go out. They start the fireworks show. They're playing music. We're all having a good time. And then this uh, rather large, rather inebriated man decides this would be a great time to run across the field. So we're all watching. And, I mean, he didn't have a chance. <laughs> like, literally. Like, this is like that Barney guy from The Simpsons. Like, I mean, he just kind of hopped the fence and, like, kind of trotted across the field. He's running towards, as I remember, towards the little left of the bullpen. And I'm sitting on the first baseline. And then a Cincinnati cop, he was like, yes. Like, I was made, this is my moment. You see, he has the white hat. He didn't even run. He just, like, speed walked. He's like, I got this. Like, this is not hard. It's not hard for me. All the fireworks are happening. Everybody's watching. But... Several of us have seen this guy run, who's just running onto the field and just kind of making his way across. And then all of a sudden, you see this Cincinnati cop pull out his taser. It's so cool. You see this bright light come out of his taser, and you see this man hit the deck like a sack of potatoes. Just lights out. Game over. We all simultaneously went, oh, like, oh. And then he was picked up and walked off the field because he's not supposed to be on the field. Do you know what Justin saw the whole time? Fireworks. You know what other kids at that time saw? I'm not kidding. All the kids are just staring into the sky. The rest of us as adults, we saw this. We're watching this all unfold. We saw a slight fireworks show on the field (laughs) due to a lot of volts of electricity going into an inebriated man. And we're looking up at the sky. And he's looking up at the sky. His... He knows nothing of it. He saw none of it. Everybody watches, but kids tend to stare. Like they're riveted. I don't know if you've noticed that about kids. Like we could all see, usually their gaze just lasts longer. Their focus on something. If something's got their attention, like it's hard. You ever hug your kid, go up to give them a kiss while they're like watching something on TV, while they're watching a cartoon or something, and it's, you could do almost anything to them as long as their gaze is, you could pick them up and be like, I love you. They're like, I love you too. And they're just staring at the TV, like, I love you so much. I love you too. And they're, just, they're just riveted. They're just staring at it. People watch, but kids stare. 
People watch, but kids stare. Their gaze, when it's fixed on something, when, they're taken, when they've taken an interest in something, they tend to stare. How many times do you have to tell your kids, stop staring? Why? Because they stare. The third point is this. The world is watching, but our kids are staring. Anybody who can see can watch. But kids tend to really stare. And so as much as the world is watching you put on display the character of Christ, the love of God, the truth of the gospel, God's mercy and grace, you need to understand that our kids are staring. The world watches, but your kids stare. They watch more intently. I think it's because their minds are not yet made up. Their worldviews have not yet been formed. Kind of like, a, you ever see the big sponges that you use to wash a car? It's like an unused one of those. It'll, it'll, it just absorbs whatever comes their way. Like any liquid that comes through, that, that sponge is not going to be like, and eh, pull back. just absorbs whatever comes its way. And like any sponge, they don't really discern they don't discriminate. They don't absorb one liquid but repel another. They just, they just absorb. It's how kids roll. You need to know that the world watches, but our kids are staring. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You know, I've said it before, that I was raised predominantly by my single mom, who was a believer. And so dad was not in my life as often. I mean, he was still had a presence in my life, but was not in my life as often as if he were living in our home. And so I remember, there, there are things that I look back on my life that I don't think I was pushed to do, that I wish I was pushed to do, but dads typically are the ones who push in that area. And quite frankly, mom's just kind of burning it about then. She doesn't have time to push. So I remember, for example, at the... At, at the pool. We used to go to this pool out on Long Island, and uh, I didn't want to go off the diving board and just felt like I was, I was kind of scared and was a little behind in swimming, and I just didn't want to go off the diving board, thought I would drown. And my mom was like, then don't go off the diving board. Like, she's like, I don't, I don't care. I don't super care if you go off the diving board now or next year. She was like, then don't. If you don't want to go, then don't. You, have to, you can do it, but if you don't want to do it, that's fine. And so I didn't until way later in life than I think I could have. And so I have this weird thing in my mind that as a dad, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to push my kids to do things sooner, that they might enjoy certain things in life sooner than maybe, than maybe I did. So um, I had uh, one of my four kids, and one of my kids uh, was toying around with going off the diving board. and was kind of, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, you can do it. you got to try it. Like, you can do it. You, I'm, you just gotta, if you do it once... All you have to do is do it once. You're going to love it. You're going to do it. You'll do it 19 more times in a row. I know you. I, I love you. Like, you, you can do it. Oh, no. I don't know. Kind of standing and watching, looking at the diving board. Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? It's not a high dive. There's nothing special about it. It's just a normal diving board in a 13-foot diving pool, uh, the pool that we go to. And so he goes out and he stands on the, uh, on the edge of the diving board. Classic mistake number one, right? If you're scared on dry land, let me go on something that bounces and look way down into infinity. But that's what he does. He goes there and he's like, I don't want to do it. <clears throat> I'm standing at the side of the pool and I said, just jump. 
just jump. He says, I don't know, I don't know if I want to. I take off my sunglasses and I look at him and I go, hey, obey daddy. (laughs) And I just kind of look at him. And he's like, well. And so he jumps. And guess what? He loved it. Been doing it. I mean, been doing it ever since. Just high fives all around. He was so happy that he did it. It's great. Uh, Fast forward, another one of my children, I noticed that, I I noticed a cut that they had on their head. But it didn't look like they fell. It looked like they had maybe scratched it. And then I noticed that they were just scratching it every once in a while. It was like a nervous thing. And so I pulled uh, my child aside and I said, you're, I want to talk to you about something. I don't know if you noticed, but you're scratching your, you're scratching your head. And the child said, no, I'm not. I said, no, you, you for sure are. Um, there's, even a, there's even a cut. Like you could see there's a mark. That's not what that's from. He's like, I don't, I don't think I'm doing that. I was like, all right, so I can't get them to try to address it without, if they think they're not doing it. So I thought, watch this, dad of the year, since you're wrestling through nervousness that I'm picking up on, it would be like so helpful if I just point that out every time you did it. That makes sense, right? Because he doesn't think that he's doing it, so it's like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll let you know when you're doing it so I can call it to your attention. You're doing it. You're doing it. See? That's what I'm talking about. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You got to stop that. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Let me talk to you about this verse. It's comparing dads to God. But you understand, look at verse 13. This is not a verse that's saying just the way dads act, just the way God acts is the way I want you dads to act. This is not a parenting verse. This is actually the flip side of that. This is saying, as a father, it's saying, you know how your father shows compassion? As, you know how dads show compassion to their kids? That's what God is like. Do you see the difference? It's not, it's not a parenting verse. There's actually an assumption here that dads show compassion to their kids. He says it as if it's a foregone conclusion. As a father shows compassion to his children, that's how God shows compassion to his kids, to those who love him, to those who fear him. It's not fathers should show compassion to their kids like God does. Rather, there's an assumption that this is what dads do. And so I would word it like this. You know how your dad shows you compassion? That's what God is like. You know how your dad shows you compassion? That's what God is like. That's what verse 13 is saying. As a father shows compassion to his children, uh, parentheses, because dads do that. Like, that's the assumption. So, So the Lord shows compassion toward those who fear him. And so I have a specific question to ask dads in the room, of which I am one. 
I think anyone can apply it, but again, it's not anyone's day, it's Father's Day. So I want to ask the dads in the room to consider this. What about you? If someone were to come up to your kids and say, you know what God's like? He's like your dad. What impression would they have of God today? If someone were to come up to my kids and say, I'll tell, if you want to know what God's like, l- let me show you what God's like. The best example would be your dad. What example would they have in their mind? Now, don't cop out. By don't cop out, I mean don't say, well, not a perfect one, brother. Don't look back and you go, I know, no one said you're perfect. Like, I'm not expecting you to be perfect. Your kids don't expect you to be perfect. We all like, so no, you're not perfect. And you know I'm not perfect. Can we just, can you just get that out of the way? You're not supposed to be God. You're supposed to image God, reflect God. No image is perfect, right? Like you take a picture of the Grand Canyon, you come back, you say, that, that picture hardly does it what? Justice, right? That picture hardly, yeah, but it's a picture. Like how to get the idea, I see the colors. No image is perfect, it's just an image. No reflection is perfect, it's just a reflection. And so if someone were to come up to your kids and say, God is just like your dad, your kids wouldn't think you're perfect, they so know you're not. God is just like your dad. What impression would they have today? What impression would you want them to have? Verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I got my kid to go off the diving board. I'm pretty good at getting it done. For better or for worse. See the target, hit the target. Let's get it done. Goal, get the kid off the diving board because once he's off the diving board, he's going to love it. How do you get him off the diving board? Does that even, I don't know, cattle prod, I, 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 whatever. Just get him off the diving, just, it doesn't matter. Once he's off the diving board, he knows what it's like. But that's not what Psalm 103.13 says. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So if my kids are getting their impression of God from me, did I show forth the compassion that God would have with me because God has never looked at me, ripped off his sunglasses and just said, obey daddy now for a diving board. God builds me up. He strengthens me. He gives me encouragement from his word. He shows me that my Identity is not in my failings, but it is in Christ. I've never experienced God saying, just shut up and just do it. Just do it already, all right? Just do it. I've never had God call my Faults to myself. You're doing it. You're doing it. Hey, Peter, you're doing it. 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 The thing you're doing, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. Without providing hope, without providing help. Why? Verse 14 says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God shepherds us. It's almost like he's like, come here. You're just a bunch of dust. Come here. 
poor, poor dust bunny. You're just a dusty kid. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? Dust. Come here. You're just, you're just, you're just dust. I don't think that if someone were to go up to my kids then and say, God is just like your dad, so what is he like? They would have said, oh. I don't think they would have said I was mean, but I don't think they would have said compassionate. I don't think they would have said gentle. I don't think they would have said aware of my fallings, aware of my shortcomings, because I'm just trying to get them out of their dusty stage. Come on, stop being dust. Let's go. No time for dust. And so I spoke to Pastor Brian, Brian Fannin. Uh, three people have had the most, the, the greatest impact on my life was Ed Moore, when it comes to parenting, uh, let me watch him parent. Brad Bigney taught me how to parent. Brian Fannin coaches me in parenting. That's the three people that God has used in my life, which I'm very, very, very grateful for, particularly as someone who didn't really have a dad constantly around to, to watch and say, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And I said, I feel like I'm off here. I just explained to him what happened, and he basically said, I'm going to sum it up for you. Uh, he basically encouraged me to build them up and count the wins because that's what God does for us. He builds us, he builds us up. He doesn't inflate our egos, but he builds us up so that we might serve him, so that we might be more like him. Instead of to just do it, just, just do what I say. He builds us up. So my next child was going to go off the diving board. It's all about the diving board. The next child was going to go off the diving board. I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I'm kind of scared. I was like, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to do it. I'm kind of scared. Gets up to the edge of the diving board. And my older child said, obey. No, I'm kidding. That's not what happened. Gets out to the edge of the diving board. Again, I don't know. I know, you're standing on the edge. He said, I don't want to do it. He ran off the diving board. And so I looked at him and said, you don't have to do it, but I know you can do it. And I know when you do it, you're going to love it. You don't have to do it, but you're going to love it when you do. So I'm trying to show him that I really believe that he can do it, not just are you going to obey me or not? Okay, let's make this an, an obedience matter. Are you going to be a good son or a bad son? But say, you know what? I know you can do this. I know you have it in you to do this. And I know you'll love it. You jump off the side of the pool. This is basically the same thing, kind of, sort of. It's just a little higher, and you'll swim to the side. You're going to love this. I know you can do it. And when you do it, you're going to love it. Instead of pointing out when... You're scratching, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. Which is, this is all gone. You're all going to be staring at my kids' heads trying to figure out which one it is. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. I'm going to count the wins. And by that I mean I'm going to say, hey, guess what you're not doing right now? I started pointing out to this child when they were not doing it. Which is really weird. But it's showing them... I, I believe that this, isn't, this doesn't define you. It's not a thing. That's just, it's just something you do. But look, you're not doing it. You don't do it more than you do it. 
Guess what you're not doing right now? Dad, so weird. Guess who's not scratching their head? Stop, Dad. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Because God's not constantly rubbing my face in my shortcomings, but showing me the love of Christ to remind me that I'm not defined by my shortcomings. I'm not defined by my habits. I'm not defined by my sins. I'm defined by the one who has paid it all. And nothing do I owe because he has paid it in full. What about you? Who in your life do you think is most impacted by the example you set? If you're a dad, it is your child. But we're all examples to someone. We're all putting God's character on display with our actions along with God's word. Who is most impacted by the example you set? And what's one specific character trait of Jesus that you'll strive to better reflect in the days ahead? Don't leave church today saying, what'd you learn? I learned I have to be more like Jesus. That's like the application of every sermon forever, right? And that's what I mean. That's that ambiguity. I learned, I'm not, I learned I am not like Jesus and I should be more like him. What specific character trait? For me, it was gentleness. It was compassion. It was patience. It was remembering my children are dust, just like I'm dust. Knowing their frame, remembering their dust, and just coming alongside them and trying to lead in a way and influence in a way that I think better reflected Christ. That might not be your thing. You might be excelling in that area, but where in your life, what character trait do you think, you know what, I'm so not like Jesus in that respect. I'm going to try to be better in the days ahead. Psalm 78, verses 38 and following as we close, says this, Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Particularly you dads, as you think of your children and you're aware of their shortcomings, their folly, their youthfulness, what opportunities do you have to reflect the character of Christ? That doesn't mean you never discipline. That doesn't mean they never get corrected. I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying, what opportunities would you have in the coming days, maybe even in the coming hours, to reflect the character of Christ in a way that, that is better than you have been? Where would God call you to focus as a dad so that you might be more like our Heavenly Father who is slow to anger, abounding in mercy, treats us gently and with compassion, and remembers us and knows that our frame, that we're just dusty kids. We're just dust. But then comes alongside us with grace and mercy to help in this our time of need. Father in heaven, we are grateful for what you have done in us and through us to call us to yourself. We're grateful for you as our Father. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow and to change to be more like the children of God that you would have us to be. And Lord, as we reflect today on fatherhood and on, uh, on this particular Father's Day, would you grow within us a spirit of gratitude and joy for the ways that you have blessed us with our fathers 
May we be a grateful people to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to better reflect you in our lives and in our example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.